You're listening to a talk recorded live at Wildfires 2019. Find out more about Wildfires at wildfiresfestival.com or find us on social media. Now, the first thing, isn't this the most fun place? I mean, I had no idea what I was coming to this morning. I mean, I really didn't know what this was going to be like. It's one of the few parts of the Sussex I've never been to. And uh, coming in, I was just blown away. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's so pretty. I like the flowers. That's what I've really got into. I love the flowers. I love the place. And just the sense of expectation is great fun. And here we are in the chapel. Imagine it's so grown up. And it's as breezy as I always remember chapels were. <laughs> but it's lovely. It's lovely. It reminds me of the day we got married in a place just like this. And... Um, but what we don't want to do, with great respect, is behave as if we were in a chapel. Because I noticed coming in, everyone's talking. Oh, come on, you know, let's not talk quietly. I'm into raucous. I'm into the Holy Spirit making a noise if he wants to. I'm into all of that stuff. But we used to be very amused when we did stuff in our early days of ministry. And if the bishop was coming to visit or the archdeacon or in ours, that, you know, somebody was coming into town, everybody behaved. And they were all quiet and gracious and sort of retiring. And it was, we, John and I would look at them and say, this isn't who you are. Loosen up, people. You know, this is just fun what we get to do here. And the thinking is that they've asked me to talk a little bit about why, I hope you come to the right place. Why does it matter that we encourage ministry in our churches, in our groups, on our railway stations, at our bus stops, which is what I love to do? Why is that so important? And how can we get better at doing it? Because the fantastic thing about Jesus training his disciples, and this is a training thing, was that he taught them how to do these things. And he gave them tips about how you can get better at it. And then they would we'll talk more about it tonight, actually. And then they would come back and compare notes with him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a learning thing. We can get better at talking about Jesus. We can get better at praying for people we can get better at laying our hands on we can get better at spotting what's going on we can get better at hearing the voice of God and we can get better at taking risks and I think my prayer would be that an hour in we'll do some questions we'll have a little clinic at the end we'll practice I mean whoever goes to a you know science lesson without having a practical at the end that's what we'll do we'll do some practice and the hope is that you'll just get a little many of you've been doing this probably longer than I have honestly but if not, just a little frisson of excitement about what can happen at the bus stop if you take a risk. Okay? Talking of which, let me start you with the story. I was at a bus stop. This was a little while ago now. There was a stage in my life in which I really did get into exercise. Now, it's manifestly clear that I got over it, and it's not quite the same now, but... I used to storm out in the morning in dreadful looking clothes, hair standing on end, no face, and just go and walk and feel that it was doing me good. And it was self-righteousness, really. And as I passed the bus stop, I looked into this bus stop out by our house. I was outside the Oxfam shop and the bus stop. I could take you there. And I was looking, and there was a young man in the bus stop, and he had a book in front of his face, and he was reading it like this, with bottle-top glasses on. He couldn't see a thing. And my heart just said, oh, you poor thing. And he was very young. I thought, oh, that's so sad. And as I stormed past, the Lord said to me, go back and pray for him. And I thought, this was not my finest hour. So I'm setting the bar really low. And I said to the Lord, 
I, you know me, and I love to do this, but on this occasion, if you don't mind, maybe not. Because I said, I went on to say, because I look a fright and my hair's on end and I haven't got my face on and I'd rather not. At which point I suspect the Lord was saying to me, he can't even see you, love. So, <laughs> so that was a little humbling. And I pressed on, resisting. And then I remembered what we always teach people about men to pray for men and women for women, all that stuff. And I said, Lord, I'm so, I know what you're saying. And I, under other circumstances, I would. But on this occasion, Lord, I don't feel it's appropriate. I am a woman on my own. At which point again, I felt, looking back, the Lord, well, really, dear, you don't need to flatter yourself. <laughs> so that one, that excuse had gone. <laughs> and in the end, I did turn around and I went back and I prayed for him. And I said to him, which is, a, it's worth having something in your head of what to say at these moments, okay? This is your first tip. And I said, look, you'll think that I'm slightly bonkers. I'm a Christian. I believe there's a God in heaven. I know that he loves you. And I really think he would want to recover your sight and to help you with your reading. May I pray for you? And the boy was delighted. He was dear. And oh, I'd be so grateful. And then, of course, I was really getting into it. So I slapped my hand on his shoulder. And I prayed my best, joined up prayers. And then, thank you, Jesus, along came the 164, and he got on the bus, and he was gone. Now, at this point, and this is the point of the story, I was feeling really pleased with myself. I knew it had been a tussle, but I knew that I'd made it. I'd just got in under the wire. So I was then storming off, looking a fright, and praying out loud, Lord, thank you for this moment, and would you please, please, reverently, come and back up your act, I said. At which point, I promise you, I've never heard an audible voice from God. I've heard one or two very deep impressions. This was one of those. And I felt the Lord said to me, you will never know. Learning moment. You will never know. If you get into this ministry stuff, and if you make it your habit, and if you start praying for the sick, and if you start taking opportunities, and if you start seeing things and hearing things and taking risks, sometimes you'll get results. And those moments are wonderful. I got a, somebody who sent me a photograph maybe three weeks ago of a couple I had prayed for a year ago to have a baby who were infertile. And the photograph came of them with their three-month-old baby. Now, those are moments of immense joy and excitement. But they're not many. More are the moments for which you will never know. So why do I pray for the sick? Why does ministry matter so much? It's blind obedience, people. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And they were that we should pray for the sick and care for the lost, and preach the gospel and do the stuff. Wimber's immortal word, do the stuff. That's shorthand, but everything in the book, everything in the book that Jesus said to do. So that's why it matters. Because it's a question of whether or not I love him, which manifestly I do, and am I therefore going to do what he's asked me to do? It's kind of simple. And from the day we started getting into this stuff, which is many years ago now, we've decided from that point on, we are going to do this. We are going to make praying for the sick and caring for people and giving them the word of the Lord and saying to somebody on the train, do you know, I, do forgive me, I, I couldn't help noticing you. And I feel, and again, I did it a little while ago. I said to this girl, you'll think me nuts. 
but I am a Christian. I believe there's a God in heaven and I believe he loves you. And do you know, I think he wants to say this to you. And said what I thought God had said. And then I got to, we were at South Ken, and then I got to Gloucester Road and I left off the train. I didn't actually need to go to Gloucester Road, but I thought I just spoke it out of here. Because it was a risk. It's a risk. Okay? But these are such risks worth taking. Do you love me? Of course I love you. Will you do what pleases me? Of course I'll do what pleases you. What pleases me? That you do the things I've said. You pray for the sick and you cast out the demons and you go to the poor and you do the stuff. So that's why I think it matters so much. Because ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what this is and what we're talking about, is our birthright as believers. We have it as a birthright. We have authority from on high. And again, in a funny way, this seminar comes too soon. It's like a sort of trailer because I want to talk more about all this this evening. So in a way, it's backwards, back to front. But anyway, who cares? I'm sure you don't. And I'm sure you've heard it all before. But one of the points I want to make this evening, we have authority. If you and I were to really believe the authority we have as believers, we would be very different in the way we operate. Jesus said, all authority is given to me, therefore you go. You do this stuff. You people sitting over there in the back. You caught in the draft from the door. You who got here first and the teacher's favorite sitting in the front row. Basically, of course, base, I was a school teacher. I always look at the back row first. Uh, oh, yes, that's where the troubles usually end. But either that or they're late. I mean, either way, they're the ones that I look for first. But um, whoever you are, and in one very irreverent way, any old fool can do this. We can all get to play and all get to do it. Why do we do ministry? Because ministry is meeting the needs of others with the resources of God. So I saw a boy in a bus stop who was almost blind. And God had the resources to make a difference. Why would I not want to bridge that gap? If you want a good quote which is, again, Wimber, you must forgive me, but that's who trained us to do this stuff. Ministry is meeting the needs of others with the resources of God. And then he started to teach us how to do it. And Carol, his wife, who was a dear, dear friend, still alive, an amazing woman, and she used to say to us, there should never be a gathering of your people, whichever church you are. It doesn't matter. Personally, I couldn't give a rip which church you come from or where you worship or whether you swing incense or, or ring bells or whatever you do, I don't care. I care that we do this. And that there should never be a moment where we don't get together as believers in our homes on a Thursday evening in a house group or at church on a Sunday up at the front where we do not offer the opportunity for people to come and be prayed for. It's just bog standard, basic, unfrilled Christianity, in my humble view. Christianity is something that we're supposed to do as well as to think about. Jesus said, or in James, be hearers of the word, yes, but doers also. And I'm, an, I'm a sort of busy little button. I want to be active. I want to do this. It's not enough, and you're probably thinking so already, just to be sitting in a pew. We want to be out there doing things. And that's what I love about this, because this suits us as a generation. And here I speak a little loosely, because clearly I'm of a different generation. I mean, I've walked with dinosaurs. But basically, I want to be someone, uh, you know, I want to be engaged. I want to be doing things. 
and we talk about our millennial brothers and sisters and we talk about all sorts of generations they want to be active it's not enough to sit and take notes which is wonderful but it's we want to be out there and doing it and times like this i mean literally gathering around the fire are so precious and they are such a treat but they're as unto something people they're with a view to something they're with a view to equipping you and strengthening you in your most holy faith and sending you out in the power of the spirit to live and work to his praise and glory and to make a difference in our generation and in the places that we live does that seem reasonable you don't have to be Pentecostal to cry out, Amen. That's the truth. This is what we want. Loosen up, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we're going to do. Are we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Amen. Yay and amen. I'll make Pentecostals of you all before we leave. I'm not one, but that doesn't, that's not the point. I don't know what I am. Actually, when John and I started out life, this is a little bit of a confessional. We started, I mean, we were respectable Anglican clergy. And we worked two amazing parishes, one down in the West Country with a wonderful trainer of, of young clergy, which was John Collins. And then we worked up at St. Michael's Chester Square. And we lived with the down and outs because we did youth work. And we lived with the up and outs in Belgravia. We did it all. And it was Anglican ministry. And we absolutely loved it. And we were going to be doing it till the day we dropped. And then we went and met Wimber and we got ruined, basically. And we were just we were just called to something else. So we moved sideways from the Anglican Church and we started the vineyard. And as we like to say to our friends, we moved from something really very respectable and wonderful and proud to be. And then we became the lunatic fringe. <laughs> and that's where we now live. So anyway, but I think what we love about it and what Wimber taught us was that we do have authority to do these things and that we all get to do it. And it doesn't depend on whether you're Anglican or lunatic fringe. It doesn't depend on whether you're educated or not terribly. It doesn't matter whether you feel you're qualified or not. Your major qualification is your weakness. If you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, Paul said, I came to you in fear and trembling. Your weakness is your strong suit because you throw yourself on the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to use a funny voice. You don't have to keep your eyes shut and look spiritual. You just have to be real and you just have to believe that this thing is important and that it can be done. Does that seem reasonable? So, I have no idea. Once I start, I completely lose track. Somebody needs to sit in the front. If John were here, he'd be sitting here going like that. But none of you do that for another 10 minutes and then you can all go and then we'll do questions. Is that fair? Do you have questions? Have you got problems yet? Is anybody arguing with any of this? I bet you are. Do you want to stop and ask a question now? We could do it in the middle. Anything? Are you wrapped? Good. Let's carry on then. How should we do this? Okay. Let's get really practical. I've got one, two, three, four, five, seven quick tips. And if you're taking notes, which most of you manifestly aren't, it's fine. But if you are, <laughs> well done. Well done. Teacher's favorite at the back. He's got it down. Um, well... <laughs> These are the things that, if you want to pray for people, and let's take it that we all do or you wouldn't be here. You've got better things to do. We want to learn to how to do this better as disciples. What do we do, first of all? We watch. We watch. That's pretty simple. John 5.19, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So the basic rule of praying for people is keep your eyes open to see what's going on to read the signs, 
to see where there are encouragements, to look and see if there's something not happening. It's a very interesting thing. And when I first did this for the very first time, and there's not time to tell the story, but it was when Wimbo came to visit HTB in 1982, three, probably. John went to meet him in Anaheim in 82, and he came over to London in 83. And I was introduced to him, and I thought, this is an extraordinary man. He has no idea of dress sense. He looks dreadful. He's coming to church in Reeboks. He's chewing gum, which in our house was a banned substance, a bit like cannabis. And he just... <laughs> He seems to be incredibly relaxed and he's American and he talks about all sorts of things about people's physical complaints in church. So I was not overly impressed to start with. And then he started preaching quite nicely from the scriptures, which reassured me because I'm a Bible girl. And then he just started plucking out of the air words of knowledge, we call them. Things that God was speaking to him. Point two, we listen. My sheep hear my voice and we listen, John chapter 10. And I watched Wimber listening to God. And not only did he hear things, he saw pictures of um, x-ray plates with a spine or a copy of medical notes, and he could read them off. I mean, it was phenomenal. I'd never, sorry, I'd never seen anything like it, and I was riveted. And then at the end, long story because he had a word of knowledge for me which was an embarrassing one because it was gynecological and I thought he had no business to say that those sort of things in church anyhow so we got past all of that and then at the end I said to my John we were sitting at the back because I was skeptical and we'd taken some of our parish so I was also frightened and I said um, to John I've got to go to the front I've got to go to that man I've got to do what he does it was an amazing moment. And I know John, God bless him, realized because he had his eyes open. He saw the spirit of God on me and he knew that this was not like me. So he took me to the front and he said to John, now you remember you met my wife, Eleanor, this morning um, and would you take her with you and teach her all, she, all you know? And it makes me weep now. For two hours, I went with Wimber and prayed for the sick and he tutored me. He would have some. at this moment you see her eyes look for that gleam you see her face look for glistening you see color rising in her throat that's the spirit of god you see those eyelids fluttering out of control nobody can do that people i have tried i went home little skeptic and i went into my mirror for hours trying it and what a clown not a thing couldn't do it you cannot do it and they're all little manifestations of the presence of the spirit of god why does god do it I don't know. I think personally he does it to encourage us. He says, I'm here. I'm here. And you'll see somebody trembling. Somebody, you'll see somebody really, really, you know, moving around. And when I was first upset about that and anxious about that, and I asked him about it, and he said, well, Ellen, if you were to put your fingers in a socket in the wall and the electricity was on, your body might shake. You might respond. And I thought that's a pretty sensible you know, explanation to me of encountering the power of God, which is sometimes overwhelming. So keep your eyes open and see and watch what's going on. That's the first tip. The second is listen for his voice, which should be familiar to you. Little promptings, just little suggestions, ideas. I was on the train coming down from London this morning and I felt God gave me a word of, of a physical condition that was completely extraordinary, out of nowhere. And I thought, I bet that's for this evening. And I think it probably is. So things like that, listen. Lord, will you say things to me? Will you show me things? Sometimes ideas come like a butterfly. We call them words of knowledge. A little butterfly, I've got an impression. 
sometimes you might get a pain and you say, that's weird. I don't have that pain in my knee. And it comes suddenly. And if you're brave enough to speak it out, it turns out that the pain that you're feeling at the moment, somebody over there is suffering from. Your pain goes, theirs needs praying. It's amazing what God does. He's so clever and imaginative and so creative. And honestly, with greatest respect, great fun to do this stuff with. It's terrific. So that was, that's all interesting. So we watch, we listen. Thirdly, we risk. We take risks. This is risky, you know? Moving to my theme. Um, it's, it's a risk. Every time you go to pray for somebody, like me with my poor boy at the bus stop, it feels that you're skating out on very thin ice. And so very often I will think to myself, what is the worst can happen? This could crash and burn. The boy at the bus stop could have said, what an awful looking woman. Why don't you get on your bike and on your way? I mean, he could just have rebuffed me. And Carol used to say to me, Eleanor, you will knock on 10. When we first set up our church in our house at home, when we started the vineyard, there were four of us. There was John and me and James was six and Marcus was six months. That was the church planting team. And therefore, we, I mean, we had to do it ourselves. And Carol would say to me, get yourself known among the neighbors. But she said, metaphorically or actually, you will knock on 10 doors, Eleanor. Nine will turn you away. And behind the tent, there will be someone who has been waiting from the foundation of the world to hear the gospel preached and to have their pains healed and to have their demons cast out. And that's what you're going for. Those are the people you're going for. And therefore, it's worth of every risk. And what is the biggest risk? Looking silly. Well, get over yourself is my answer to that. Who cares? Who cares? There was an occasion we were in we're running away a little bit, but there was an occasion that John and I were in Frankfurt with Wimber early, early on when he was first doing trips into Europe. And we went to Frankfurt and it was amazing. And he preached obviously with translation and it was very powerful. And then he invited the Spirit of God to come. And the Spirit of God came and it was horrendous to me. Screaming, shrieking, throwing people around, not John, this was what was happening in the room. It was so shocking. And I was terrified and I just sat there and my John said, God bless him, isn't this amazing? And I said, John, this is horrible. Because it was the most concentrated demonic activity I'd ever seen or have done since. Because there were the children of SS officers, there were Nazis, there were victims of Nazi regime. I mean, it was the worst of post-war demonic stuff coming out. It was incredibly dramatic. And my John said to me, isn't it worth five minutes of agony for a lifetime of freedom? As you watch these people being delivered of the stuff that had been done to them. So put it like that. Why would you not take a risk now and again? F.R. Maltby said this, If you follow Jesus, he promises you three things. Delirious joy, I can testify to that. Reckless courage, because you're going to need it. And constant trouble. Isn't that true? Isn't that the Christian life? I think it's terrific. Delirious joy, and who hasn't known that? And if not, see me afterwards. Reckless courage, because you're going to have to need it, and constant trouble. And then as Wimber used to say to us, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is that Jesus is interceding for you. We all went, oh. I said, the bad news is you're going to need it. 
You know, it's true. It's very sensible. Number four, we use the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God has given us, the Holy Spirit has deposited within us his gifts. And during the course of this afternoon and tonight, we're going to pray for a working of the Holy Spirit in our lives and depositing of gifts so that we will be equipped to go out and do this stuff. So you'll be hearing a lot of this again tonight. Words of uh, gifts of the mind, knowledge, wisdom, discerning of spirits, gifts of the hands, faith, healing, working of miracles, gifts of the voice, prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation. It's a full gamut of gifting and it's all there for us. And these are not toys to be played with and boasted about. They're not trophies to be put up on the mantelpiece. Oh, I had a word of knowledge in 1906. No, 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 no. They're tools of the trade. Do you know what I mean? Tools of our trade. And when a plumber goes to mend a leak, he has a box and he takes his spanner and is this, that and the other. And he's equipped to do the job. We go out to pray for the sick. We need to be equipped to do the job. We need all the gifts of the Holy Spirit every time. Lord, fill me with your spirit and all the gifts that are mine at your disposal. Okay, point five. Are we all right? Nearly to seven. I plead with you. I plead with you. No religion, no fuss, no hype. Okay? I don't like religion. I adore Jesus. I love being a Christian. But we don't need funny voices. We don't need closed eyes. We don't need to get all sanctimonious. We don't need to get quiet because we're in a church. We don't need to use funny words that nobody understands. We need to cut out all possible Christian jargon. And we just need to be real. Keep your eyes open, use your ordinary voice, have a little giggle now and again. We were always amazed when Wimber first came to London and was working at the Central Hall Westman. So there were some amazing conferences in those days. And he, there was one occasion when the Spirit of God was so thick in the room, you could almost meta metaphorically have cut it. It was so amazing. I mean, God was hanging out of heaven. And John just said, okay, let's go and have coffee. And we went, you what? He said, Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. Why wouldn't you want to come coffee? And I just remember, oh, I love this. It's so not religious and not intense and not beating me up to get me to do something and not playing worship songs twice over and then upside down and backwards and turning up the lights and turning down the lights. You know what I mean? Honestly, give me a break. Just let me pray for you in the love of Jesus. And if you feel better, that's great. And if you don't, I've, I've often prayed for people who haven't got better. I've never prayed for anyone who hasn't been grateful just to have been noticed and, as the Americans say, loved on a little. It's a sweet thing. So don't fuss. Don't make them feel religious and frightened. Don't use silly words and lay hands on. Don't hover. The New Testament says lay hands. It doesn't say hover. You know, you see people, come Holy Spirit. You don't need to do that. You need to go and you've got a sore arm. I reasonable and sensitive and kind and at that point we girls if we have girls issues we get girls to pray for them and the same with chaps I mean let's be pragmatic let's be sensible let's be compassionate let's be kind and let's say what we mean let's talk about body parts let's talk about ailments let's talk about things that are wrong 
I'm struggling. Well, yeah, I bet you're struggling. Why are you struggling? Well, I'm just struggling. Well, tell me why you're struggling and I can pray for it. Do you know? Am I disrespectful or irreverent? I hope so. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Shouldn't have said that. Whoops. No, no. It wasn't in my notes, I promise. Okay. And then, sixthly, we make this a lifestyle. We make it a habit. And we don't stop doing it. Very, very early on, John and I were at a conference in California. And they had put us up in this little hotel place, which was rather nice. I decided Jesus definitely liked California. It was amazing. And um, there was this uh, couple coming, or four couple, coming off the tennis court having played. And he'd obviously injured himself terribly, obviously Californian, frightfully good looking and tall and bronzed and all that stuff. Um, but was hobbling, hobbling and in pain, having obviously done something to his ankle while he was playing. And we walked past. Now, John and I were just getting into this stuff, remember? And we walked past and we got back to him and said, oh, poor thing. And we looked at each other and said, oh, my goodness, we missed a trick. We bottled. He was so good looking and beautiful and bronze and Californian and we just bottled. And John said to me, oh, God bless him. I wish he was here. Such a lovely chap. And he said to me, do you know, you and I are going to have to make a decision. Are we going to do this or aren't we? And from that day, we said, okay, we'll do it. And we see these moments and we'll do it. So my, I call him MLJ, my lovely John was on a bus, recently a little while back now, and the bus was crowded. And there was a woman on the bus who was obviously in great pain and awkward with her arm. And she was really struggling, struggling. And John said to her, um, and it was traffic. So, I mean, they were stuck there really. And John said, oh, look, I couldn't help noticing you're really struggling with your arm. You, are you in pain? She said, yes, I am. And he said, you know, well, might I pray for you? Well, the bus was crowded. She couldn't get out. What was she going to do, poor love? So she said, well, thank you. And he prayed for her. And John is not one to exaggerate, rather unlike me. And um, he said, by the time she got off the bus, her symptoms had abated. That'll do. That'll do till healing comes along. But she was healed. The symptoms are gone. Her arm was fine. Now, I was just sitting on the bus. You know, make it your habit. Make it a lifestyle. Even when discouraged, even when heartbroken, even when you don't see things happening, faith is the divine, this is a good quote, faith is the divine nevertheless. Isn't that good? So I don't claim it. Faith is the divine nevertheless. I haven't seen this happen. I am discouraged. I've prayed for this person for years. Okay, I'm going to keep on because faith is the divine nevertheless. Nevertheless, Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I am not going to be put off doing this till the day I get to glory. And the, the last thing, number seven, never forget that this is God's work. Perfect timing. Um, this is God's work. This is God's work. My responsibility is to do it. His responsibility is to take it from there. So I do not ever claim or think that I've done that. I've done what he asked me to do. I prayed for the sick and I pray for the infertile all the time. I do that because he said to do it. And I've seen enough to encourage me to know that it's true. But what I won't do is think for a moment that I did that. 
And when anybody used to come and, to Wimbledon and say, that was amazing, he would very sweetly say, I'll take the encouragement and I'll pass on the glory. You know, it's encouraging. And you know you've been used. So Noramise, so you know how sometimes pious people will say, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, which again is religion. Please don't do that. Yes, you did use me, Lord, and I'm thrilled that you did. But basically, the glory is yours. You did this stuff. Do you hear the story about the woman who went to the vicar as he, you know, I'll probably get it wrong, but at the end of the service, vicar standing at the door, who preached his heart out, bless him. And she went and said, oh, wonderful sermon, vicar. And he said, "'Twas not me, it was the Lord.'" To which she replied, "'It wasn't that good.'" <laughs> so, I mean, let's be reasonable. Let's keep things in proportion here. And do you realize also that my last quote, um, 1 Corinthians 15, the greatest chapter that Paul wrote, of course, on the resurrection, 56, 57 verses on the resurrection and the magnificence of the resurrection. And if it were not true, our hope was in vain. But it is true, and our hope is not. And then in verse 58, he says, does he not? Therefore, stand firm. Stand firm, people, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Despite 57 verses on the glories of the resurrection, at the end of it, he says, people, stand firm and carry on doing the stuff. That is the vernacular. That's what he says. And that's what we should be doing. So there you go. That's it. That's all I've got to say. Would you like to ask any questions? At which point I wish John was here because he's very good at asking questions. God bless him. Yes, sir. Yeah, we do, we do, we do. I think you're right. I think it's the toughest question any of us get asked, which is like now. Sorry? Oh, repeat the question. The question was, um, what do we do when we pray for people and they don't get healed? In essence, is that right? What is God saying when someone isn't healed? Well, I find the most helpful answer to that question is, I don't know. I simply don't know. I think it's a mystery. I can't tell you why some get healed and some don't. I can tell you that I was at a conference in America and I prayed for a woman who wanted a large family. She had one child and she was desperate for a second and longed for a big family. And I prayed for, with a fellow pastor's wife and I prayed for that woman for 18 years for a baby and she hadn't had one. This woman who already had one child, she conceived twins within about 10 minutes. I mean, what do you do with that? Well, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> We're not that free in the vineyard. Don't let that go out. Don't let that be quoted. Um, you know what I'm saying? It was instantaneous. She had babies and she had a family of three. Suddenly, literally overnight, suddenly. And my darling friend went into hospital within weeks and had a hysterectomy. And what do you do with that? And my only answer to that is, A, I don't know. And one day God will put things right. And... Um, the other thing I have to come back to, and this, is, this gets us off on another thing, is the theology of the kingdom. It's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand, but it hasn't been completed yet. It started off when he came, and it will be completed when he comes back. And meanwhile, we live in that eschatological tension in the middle, where sometimes you see wonderful things and sometimes you don't. 
And if you read Hebrews 11, which is a classic text you go back to, verse 35, everybody came triumphing through all sorts of wonderful things. And in the same verse, full stop, women um, saw that the men come back from the dead, something like that. Stop. Others were sawn into this, that, and the other, burnt at the zip, whatever. It, in the very same verse, you have people carried off the battlefield in triumph, and you have others dragged off the battlefield dead. That's the kingdom. And that's where we live, which is why some get healed and some don't. And theologically, that's all, that's the only thing I can handle. Because otherwise, it's so disheartening pastorally. It's so discouraging. But I just keep on keeping on. And I'm in one or two situations at the moment where I'm praying for people, and it's been years. And I just take the importunate widow as my heroine, and I just keep banging on the door, and I keep praying. And sometimes I'll pray for somebody more than once. And then you just have to say, we don't know. We don't know. But all I do know is that more people get healed and more babies get conceived because I pray for the sick and I pray for the barren than would if I didn't. I believe that. I believe that. And that's a mystery. So if you're wanting an answer to write in your notes, there isn't one. I'm afraid. I think it's very hard. Very, very hard. But I think we also have to be realistic and honest. Don't pretend when it's not happening. Make people be honest with what's going on. Don't pretend something, you know, just don't make it up. John, I've, John is amazing at this stuff. And he'll sometimes say to somebody who seems better. Now, don't, don't, try and, don't try and humor me. Are you feeling better or not? Well, okay, so your pain was at 10. Where is it now? Well, it's about a seven. Okay, well, let's pray again. In that way, you encourage people and we keep going. We keep going. But there are points where you just don't see those things happening. And you have to say, look, I don't know. Another question. Yes. If I'd been on the bus, I could have told you, but I wasn't, so I don't know. I honestly don't know. History doesn't relate. And Oh, for me, I beg your pardon. Oh, I thought you meant John on the bus. Because I talk, very, I talk with them quietly, because I don't want to expose them or embarrass them. So I talked with this lady at the, on the train at Gloucester Road, just, you know, across the thing, her and me. So I don't sort of hold a, a rally in the, in the tube. Maybe I should. I did have a friend once who pastored the church in America, and he used to get into an elevator, and a full elevator, and then he'd turn around with his back to the door, and he'd say, you must be wondering why I call this meeting. <laughs> and then he talked about Jesus. I mean, I think that's amazing. I can't do that. I've never done it. But there's another idea for your notes. Why not? I, I mean, then you get off at the next floor, whatever floor. And in America, there's so many floors, you get to preach a lot of the gospel before you get to the top. So the answer is, I think you have to be very, I'm joking, but I'm being sensitive. I think you have to be very sensitive to people. I often speak to women with small children because everybody else goes, you know, on the train. And I will talk with them. And I'll say, you know, I think you're doing an amazing thing, which I think is the Lord's word to them. And I'll encourage people and just talk to them. I mean, they probably think I'm a batty old woman. But um, I just think people need encouragement. And sometimes you can see people struggling with suitcases. I mean, it doesn't have to be, thus says the Lord. Or I think the Lord is saying, oh, it's not always like that at all. Just, you know, let me encourage you. Let me say, and, and sometimes I think, you know, there is a God in heaven. He loves you. You know? I've got a lovely, is this, is this all right? Stories. 
lovely story. We were training people to pray for the sick in one of our churches in Nottingham. And uh, they were trained. Jesus trained people. We're going to talk about that tonight. You get better at doing it. However, they got these people trained and they sent them out onto the streets of a nearby town and they furnished them with chocolate bars. And on the chocolate bars was the name of the church and, uh, you know, God loves you or something that you and I would probably say that's a little bit naff. But no, it, was, it gave them a little visual aid, a, a little equipment to go. And so this middle-aged couple who'd never done it before and had been to the class and decided they ought to try. And so they went onto the street on a Saturday morning armed with chocolate bars and they prayed that God would bring them somebody to pray for. And this young couple came towards them and they nudged each other because they were terribly nervous. Please, please don't think I get onto the bus feeling like Superman. I don't. And if I think I've got to pray for somebody, my heart races and I feel nervous and tongue-tied and, oh, you know, where's a proper Christian? Where's John when I need him? That sort of thing. And therefore, you just do it. Anyway, this nervous couple and the woman said to the man, I think this is, these people coming towards, I think we should pray. So they agreed and they said to the couple what they've been trained to say, you'll think we're slightly strange, but we're Christians and there is a, we believe there's a God in heaven and we know that he loves you. Is there anything from him that you would particularly like today? Something like that. And here's a little bar of chocolate as a token of his love for you. And it turned out that this young couple, the, I don't think they were married, the girl was desperate. And she had cried, not Christians, they, she cried out that morning. She said, if there's anybody out there, if something good doesn't happen to me now, today, I had it. I've had it. I'm done. And who knows what that means. And somebody gave her a bar of chocolate and told her that God loved her. And she looked at the address on the chocolate and she went to the church the next day and got saved. And that was a soul on its way to hell that got saved because a middle-aged couple who are feeling nervous took a risk. Why do you, why wouldn't we? You know? Sorry. Excited. Yes. Yes, yeah, that's true. Can I talk to this lady first? No, 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 it's all right. We're just working backwards. We are going to have to do because I'm too long. I know I am. We must stop. Because we need to pray for each other. Go on. We'll do two more. And they say no. And you just say, I suppose, I suppose you would just say, um, of course, I quite understand that. And then you go away feeling awful. And you say, Lord, this is you. This is you. I have a friend in America who preaches glorious sermons. And he's a Jewish background. He's amazing. Best preacher we've got. And he says at the end of every sermon, he goes as it were, there's a place in the Old Testament where the priest would take two offerings to the altar. And he takes it if it's good and he takes it if it's bad. So he takes it if he's encouraged and he takes it if he's crushed. And he said, Lord, this is yours. I think I would do that. Just that. And you, and then we'll stop. Oops. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been in one. I think that's difficult. I think that's really difficult. I What I would not do is go to war. I would not get into the ring. I might just quietly pray for people. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you in the pew? Can I pray for you at our house group? Why would you not? 
And then possibly if you have a good relationship with your leaders, talk to them a little bit, say, you know, I'm just finding that I'm enjoying praying for people. Do you think there's a way we could do more of that? I would be extremely gracious, sensitive, non-competitive, and let the deeds speak for themselves and let yourself speak for that. I wouldn't go to war. Rather than go to war, I'd go somewhere else. I wouldn't try and change it. Pray. That's always a good idea. Yes, one. there was one over here and then we'll stop. Yes. Good for you. Somebody must. Yes. 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 Yes, no, I quite agree with that. And you've got to stay there. You, I mean, you can't get off at Gloucester Road. You've got to stay in the office. I think, um, do you know what I'm saying? I think you have to, um, again, I think you have to build a little bit of relationship with people. In that case, I would probably wait and pray. You know, you see someone that you think is struggling or in pain or you know they've had surgery or something. I would pray and then I would wait for a moment or two or a day or two or a week or two as you pray. And then as it goes along, I would say to somebody, look, you probably know I'm a Christian. I'm one of these daft people. But would you like me to pray for you? Just like that. And see. But again, I wouldn't have a, you know, a prayer meeting at the coffee machine. And I wouldn't make a big song and dance. And I, wouldn't, I would do it very discreetly. I don't think it has to be a revival meeting. I think it just has to be quietly caring and using the gifts at our disposal, meeting the needs of that person with the resources of God, in a discreet, careful way. Does that make sense? Sensible? I forgot to repeat the question. That was how do you how do you operate if you're in an office situation rather than just a one-off on the train? Shall we just pray for each other for a moment or two? Shall we do something? What time do we have to finish? Oh, that's okay. Good. You can do that when you get to it. Okay. Now, what we're going to do, if this is all right with you, I'm going to invite the Spirit of God to come as if he wasn't here already, but we're going to ask for him for even more. And I'm going to ask him to distribute the gifts of his Spirit among the whatever, however many of there are of us in this room. Thousand? No, probably about 80. But <laughs> there's probably a hundred of us here, and it's really sweet. I love it. It's such a fun time. So I hope you do. So why don't we um, invite God to give you words? Okay, so put down your stuff, relax, don't get religious, don't make a fuss, don't use a funny voice, and you can all close your eyes for this bit and I'm keep mine open. Holy Spirit, will you come? Lord, we welcome your presence in this sweet place, this place where people have welcomed your spirit for probably hundreds of years. And here you are, as fresh as the day of Pentecost. And Lord, we ask you to come. We're eager. I sense you're eager to do this and to do more. So Holy Spirit, will you come? And will you equip us with the gifts of your Spirit in these few moments? Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Release to us words of wisdom, words of knowledge, discernment, Maybe a gift of faith. We'd love to see healings and miracles in these few moments. And why not? And we're just going to wait. And I'm going to encourage you to listen. 
and to watch in your mind's eye the things that God could be showing you. More. More. Okay. God knows we have to finish half past three and he works with us. I'm going to ask, is there anybody in those few moments, and you're going to have to take a risk and be brave. Is there anyone in those few moments who had an impression of something physical that might be happening in one of the other hundred people in this room that wasn't your own? See what I'm saying? Think for a minute. Did anybody suddenly think, oh, With an elbow joint or a funny foot or eye. Yes. Exhaustion. Yes, you could be very right. You could be very right. Okay. Let's hold that one. Thank you. Ah, oh, somebody else. Brave man, because he went out first. Yes. You felt like you were falling. falling down. How interesting. Was it a vertigo thing? Okay, just for point of interest. Is there anyone in this room who suffers from vertigo? Is there anyone who I resonated when she said that? So, oh, yes, it's a horrible feeling. There you go. There you go. Thank you. So now, in a moment or two, I'm going to ask you from the back to come and pray for this lady at the front because she's going to identify with what you're praying, saying. Thank you, both of you. This is brave. Good for you. Anybody over here? Yes, you've got, you've got, you, I knew there was. Come on, you first. Sweet. Sweet. Now that's, that's actually less of a word of knowledge and more of a prophetic a little, little prophetic word. Let's we'll hold that one. And you, sir, you had something. Somebody else put your hand up. Thank you. A pain behind the left eye. And this is quite helpful because it's very specific. Has anybody got a pain behind their left eye? There's the lady there that you might go and pray for in a moment. Thank you. Come on, there's more to come. There's loads more in this room. Yes, over you go. Nostrils. There you go. Now that's very helpful, specific, and kind. Is that you? Good girl. Dear girl. You are going to come over and make best friends with this girl here, okay? And you're going to pray together. And that's sweet. I see that's sweet because she's brave, you're humble, and the Lord is there. I love that. Okay? Somebody else has something there. There's more in this room. Go on. Somebody with a problem with their big toe. One more. One more. That often happens. You get more than one or two. We'll do two or three more, and then we'll stand up and pray. We can stand up and pray. Anybody else? Come on, I'm sure you have. Good girl. Very helpful. And had you seen that picture before? Have you had words of knowledge before? Good, wonderful. That's what we do. We practice, you see. 
Is there any, is there anybody who's sustained a sports injury lately? Come on. There's one. There's one. Um, is there anybody here? It sounds like a game show. Is there anybody here who um, has never had a word of knowledge in their lives before? Several of you? Now, Lord, would you please come in these last moments and would you so distribute your gifts and give to these people who've never had this before the experience of feeling a pain, seeing a body part, getting an impression like a butterfly in their thinking that they'd never had before. Now, just wait for a minute. Just wait. Spirit of God, come with your kindness and help us. Thank you. Thank you. Any first-timers get something in that moment? Doesn't matter. Please don't feel any pressure at all. But just it's just quite a fun thing to experiment. Sometimes you just can't believe it could be you. Chest. Okay. Do you think it's bronchial? Heart. Okay. Somebody that's got something that they feel in their chest that could be related to their heart. Or indeed, I think that maybe somebody with a bronchial condition. Right. Now, if any of those conditions apply to anybody in this room, would you stand up? We've got five minutes. Would you stand up? And then the rest of us are going to pray. So feel free to stand. Some of you will have more than one person will be affected by um, the picture of the forest glade or indeed the exhaustion one or the chest pain. You, you, lots of people can have the same word apply to them. But anybody, we're going to be quick. Stand up right now. Stand up right now. There you go. There you go. Now, if there were people that I pointed out, would you? who was it that had the snort? Would you come across here and meet this girl in the pink here? And there was somebody else from the very back. You were going to come and pray for this lady with the gilet. At least it's not a yellow one. June. And you come to her. And for the rest of you, if you're, there's a sports injury, the sports girl, go and pray for him and get a chap to turn around and pray with you. There you go. Will you, gentleman that had the word about the forest, will you turn around and pray for him too? Now, you can move around if you like. Where's the girl with the... Here she comes, fighting her way through. Oh, there's another toe injury, okay? Right. And get praying. Get praying. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bless these times. Just uh, You don't need a conversation. You just need to ask them what's going on. And then lay your hand on the person, actually. Keep your eyes open. Speak to a condition. And just pray for what you want. Have, don't do long conversations, because if you have too much conversation, your faith drops. It does. And if there's anybody who wants to be prayed for, why did you come? Come around here. Come into this bit here. Do we use this again, half past three, this room? Anybody who would like to be prayed for for any reason, come and stand up here in what we like to call the chancel. Prayers in the chancel. Now, if we've got a little bunch of people here. If there are those of you who pray in your churches and are used to doing this, I can't do this. We need help. We need some help. And if there's anybody who'd like to come and do some praying, these girls are going to help us. We need you. You're going to come and help. Find a gentleman to pray for. Introduce yourself. Are you coming to pray? 
thank you, thank you, and thank you. And please, please feel free to go when you're ready to go, because this is about as formal as ending as you're going to get. So please feel dismissed and go and have tea.